0: favorite thing about the visual component of this is like i'll see you thinking about what i'm saying paco and then you (laughs) get it and then you're like i hate this and i love it it's like this thing rolls over your face where you're like oh shit and that's what i live for in this quarantine oh lord do we
1: have the strength to carry on this mighty task in one night or are we just jerking off
2: Amen.
0: Amen.
1: Welcome to Vulgar Tours, where we examine the filmographies of genre filmmakers. We are currently examining the films of Mel Brooks, and today we are talking about his masterpiece, Blazing Saddles. I'm
0: Paco. I'm Jason. Not Terry. And what a movie! Blazing Saddles. This is one of those movies that I was most stoked to talk about um, because it's just, it's such a fun movie that I remember from childhood, like always renting. And it mm-hmm. always stood up as being like a good, both a good Western as well as a good comedy. And I do remember a lot of the, well, let's just dive right into it. <laughs> I remember a bunch of the uh, language in this movie. And I remembered at the time interpreting it as like, obviously, it's used in a. This is a satirical western kind of dark comedy, pun intended, uh, where it's just. I don't know. It's like you're you're you hear the the uh, the N word, the bad F word in the first like two minutes of the movie, and you're like, okay, now I know where I'm at uh, and what this movie is going to be. And similar to like something like South Park, and I know we've talked about this before, but sometimes it's like the comedy takes on a life of its own outside the intentions of certain writers and filmmakers. And so I can see the problems that come with this movie. But then there are other, like... There's definitely a white savior complex. There's there's a bunch of stuff going on in this movie. I don't know. What what did you guys think? I I think it's a really smart piece of
1: filmmaking and like the research I did one of the defenses uh I forget if it was prior or the uh person who originally came up with the idea for the script whose name is escaping me for the moment uh but they went to the studio and were worried about the uh, the studio was worried about the n-word but whoever it was who was defending it it it, it was
0: Andrew Bergman I think Andrew Bergman? Yeah, who, and he, he wrote it as called Tex X, and then it later was Black Bart was what they wanted yeah, to, to you know. Yeah, name okay, so
1: to clarify, he's the one who said, like, no, it's okay because it's the bad guys who are saying that, and that's what the bad guys would say. Yeah. Uh, I forget which writer it was, but it was one of the uh, African-American writers who made that defense, which sort of one over brooks in the studio uh it is kind of jarring to hear it so much in a comedy but i think it it's just really smart in how the villains devalue america like these people in a way that really seems ahead of its time in what it's saying about racial politics and american history that said there are missteps uh (laughs) I don't think a remake would have the brown face of Mel Brooks as a Native American.
0: It was others. almost, like, unnecessary. Like, that kind of was shocking. I'd forgotten about that moment. And then he's talking in, like, Yiddish. Or he's, he's talking in, like, Which, random... I mean, talk,
2: the talking in Yiddish or whatever I thought was really funny. But yes, the, the, the makeup is very problematic. Mm-hmm.
0: But it does kind of re-examine roles of white people and black people, where whether it's... Um, Music. I mean, there's a couple of great, uh, moments in the movie where they're contrasting each other completely. Whereas like the way that Cleavon Little, uh, is introduced in is like Gucci bag and the cameras like panning. It's the most, I think one of the most famous shots of the movie is, um, his, his character is Sheriff and it's like panning up his Gucci bag. And he's like, he looks beautiful and he's like going through the desert and he encounters the camp, the Count Basie uh, brass band which is just dope like if if you've listened to Count Basie's music they're they're unbelievable um and then it's contrasted with like the the red-suited people in town who are doing the big band like oh the new sheriff is coming and it's so just like eek uh and even in the first the beginning of the movie uh which is one of my favorite uh scenes where it's like you know sing, sing one of the workers is like sing one of those those like slave songs or something ridiculous. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the type of movie it's going to be. And then Cleveland Little is just like, these guys come up behind them and they do this do up, like, you know, I don't get a kick from champagne, you know, like get, you know, kick from cocaine. It's, it's just like beautiful and rad. And then the people are like, what, what are you, why are you singing like that? And then they start doing like the doodah, doodah song or whatever, but Camp there's all races. these Yes. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm not explaining any of this well, but it's there's so many interesting contrasts to these jokes that is ultimately leads up to the scene uh which is one of my favorites where Mel Brooks as the Waco kid is talking to Cleavon Little after like they're Mel use Brooks a lot isn't
1: of... the Waco kid. That's uh Gene oh, Wilder. Uh
0: excuse me, Gene Wilder. I was trying not to say Billy Wilder, that I straight up just went straight, <laughs> yeah. straight through through uh God. <laughs> but there's, there's the scene where he's talking to Cleavon Little. What did you expect? Welcome, Sonny. Make yourself at home. Marry my daughter. You have gotta remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the new West. You know. Morons. <laughs> it was after a joke in the movie where he's like good morning to this like lady in the town and she's like you know fuck off and says the n-word like the hard n-word mm-hmm. and then it cuts to him like just distraught of like why the fuck should i put my neck out for these people when they're assholes and it was just kind of like it's still um kind of it's not like condescending, but it's just kind of like Melbro or Mel Brooks. Gene Wilder is saying like, "Oh, they're, they're simple farmers," and in other words, they're they're dumb. And that's pretty much the big thesis of the movie is just kind of racism is so dumb, and it's clearly laid out in all these examples of how like remarkably stupid people are. And you know, I don't know, like, I'm simplifying it, of course, but
2: yeah, I, I think that like definitely, I I agree, and I think that there are some aspects where like. Uh, there is, like, a little bit of the white savior thing, but it's not as obvious or, like, as jarring as it would be in, like, another film. Like, for instance, like, a, a Sergeant Rutledge or something, where, mm. like, it's ostensibly about a black person, but the whole movie is actually centered around, like, a, like you know, some white perspective. Cleavon Little actually is the main character, and, like, you feel that. And, and like, uh, he, like, I mean, it's clearly, like, the audience is probably not strictly, like, African Americans, but, like, it's centered around that kind of perspective, and I think there is a conscious attempt to uh, do something smarter with that kind of attention. It's not to, like, say that, like, oh, uh, like, Mel Brooks is the governor uplifting Cleveland Little, uh, you know, Bart off of, like, the, the, the rail uh, working team, but, like, you know, it's like this it's like set up as like a scam, but it's not like he's like helping him out. It's like, no, they're actually trying to fuck him over. And
0: mm-hmm. he like
2: makes the most of it. Like he has a lot of agency in the film. And I think that that helps to dispel I mean, and granted, I am another white guy, but like I think I think Mel Brooks does a good job, especially given when it was made.
1: I think one of the key things is uh really on paper, this should be a horrible idea being Uh, co-written and directed and starring a old even at the time white guy but his collaborating with filmmakers of color especially on the script stage to figure out the process is a great example of like how these things like how I don't believe that representation is everything, but I think representation, especially in writers rooms is a significant part of a creative process that ends with uh, things that actually are true to characters and also get at the structural problems, at least in this movie of God damn cut this all out. I completely lost oh. my train of thought. No,
0: I mean it it points out the barriers of, that this character faces that are different than whatever anyone else is facing. Like he yeah. is constantly like made to feel sm- he doesn't feel small. Like that's the thing is in the face of all this shit, he always goes and takes the high road. And mm-hmm. of course they incorporate the the Bugs Bunny uh scene later in the movie but Clavon Little, as Bart, is kind of the Bugs Bunny of the movie. He's kind of winking at you the entire movie to show, like... He's breaking the fourth wall. He's kind of showing you how dumb everyone is around him and how he knows he's, everything he's in, in a way that support of all these white people. <laughs> it, it's but it's it's it really is like Bugs Bunny. It has that same amount of it's like, got humor. They even use the uh, the tune. Of yeah, Bunny
1: exactly. Bunny. Yeah,
2: but yeah, he, I guess the yeah. candy gram for Mongo. Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess what I was trying to get at earlier is I think this is less problematic because. This is – and at the time, there were not a lot of black filmmakers behind the camera yeah. outside of the low-budget exploitation movement. Uh, but this really has the fingerprints of more than Mel Brooks on it. Like, you can feel the difference just in terms of the producers, the 12 chairs, and this. There's a big the style, difference. The style of comedy feels like it's a writer's room that – apparently was very, very heated. And the writers kept going back and forth and really getting, like, on each other's ass, but also, like, turning in a script that, like, really fires on all cylinders. And I feel like it's not just white people are stupid and racist. Like, it's partially that, but it's also... Kind of the idea of what white people want out of America Mm -hmm. uh, is so different in like, it's just, I don't know, God, this movie is kind of, it's it's so good, but it's so hard to talk about.
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I guess if we were to do like an overview, it's basically this railroad construction worker is hired to be a sheriff of this town of Rockridge so that the residents abandon uh, the town so that a, a like a baron can come in and take over. And it's like exactly what you'd imagine any Western is. And I mean, in this period of Westerns, they were kind of the dry, like I think the shootist came out in the 70s. Like the 70s were kind of a, an interesting time for Westerns anyway. And the idea that you have on Little who... I mean, he's so fucking charismatic. Uh, like, he's amazing Vanishing Point, if you've seen that, of uh, he's the DJ that steals the entire movie and the scenes that he's in. But um, the idea that you have Cleavon Little as the main character who's also the most reasonable person, who's the most nor- normal in terms of, like, you're in this parody or this kind of wild movie, and he has the one up on everyone, like the famous uh, scene too, where like he's introduced to the town and he holds himself hostage in this great piece of physical comedy where like <laughs> yeah. he puts his own gun up to his face. And he's just like, you know, nobody drop your weapons or he's going to get it or whatever. It's he's showing just how literally dumb everyone is. But well, I think he, that's what he
2: says at the end of that scene. Like he goes into like the little uh, sheriff's like uh, house or whatever. And he's like, wow, they're dumb. Yeah.
0: yeah. Baby. You are so talented and they are so dumb. But I I think it's important too. The the idea of representation is like, he's a sheriff. He's dealing with all this other shit, but he's also the hero of our story. You know, the Waco kid, uh, Gene Wilder's character is a great supporting role because he doesn't really have like, it's not like they all have arcs and like, this is the best Mm -hmm. written movie of all time, but the way that it functions is perfect. And I think that um after uh the last movie The Twelve Chairs wasn't as big of a success uh, um that they were looking for, um, teaming up with these writers, which who do include Richard Pryor, and going to Warner Brothers and making this kind of low-budget movie, I think it was two and a half million dollars, and it made like over a hundred million dollars. Like this is really where he's on fire from this point on, like, where I think Most of our listeners are going to know more of these movies that show up in popular culture, or at least the movies that he's lampooning. Um, But how, what, what do you guys feel about the difference between like parody and making fun of something? Like, how does this fit into that category? Like, do you think that there's a respect for all of the Westerns that came before it? Well, Um, I think it's interesting in that regard because This is
1: arriving kind of square in the middle of the revisionist Western era. You know, this is just a couple years after The Wild Bunch and uh, fucking Butch and Sundance. And there's this, the spaghetti Westerns, of course. So there is this re-examination happening of the Western in general. And... I think one of the things that makes Blazing Saddles so fascinating is how they do that same kind of deconstruction of the era, but in a comedy. And I think it is very loving toward all the tropes of the genre and while also being really smart in how it kicks fun at it, which is one of the hardest things about a parody and like, from here on out, that's what Mel Brooks does, it feels like, you know. It's you know, young Frankenstein parody, silent movie parody. He's going from genre to genre, just making parodies for most of his career after this. And I think that he is one of the best at it of all time because he is willing to really do the research into figuring out why these movies work. So he can pick fun at them so adroitly.
2: No, and and I I agree though, and I think Jason, you mentioned this earlier about how uh, it's just a good western even on its own merits, and I think that like stands stands out like even even the aspects of the film that are straight like or or you know true to the genre are actually like good like it's a pretty engaging story. It's not just like a like sure it grabs from a lot of other stories, but it manages to do its own thing and it's good the whole time. Like the comedy certainly uh, elevates it, but, but, like, it stands, it stands alone, and I, and I think that you're right, Paco, in saying that, uh, like, it, it has a respect for the genre. It lampoons it, but it does it with, like, uh, a very conscious attempt to, uh, like, and it's all, you know, you're also right to point out, like, it's, like, an end of an era, like, uh, the Western had changed by that point, and Brooks is on the same train, he's just taking, like, a different track.
1: I think that's a great way to put it. Totally. I really want to shout out one of my favorite things. Something that blew my mind as a kid watching this movie that I didn't realize like movies could do, which is the soundstage uh, battle at the end. Yeah, where like <laughs> yeah. it just invades other movies and then oh, invades L.A. Uh, period. It's just so gonzo and so like anarchic with the comedy like it does feel like something a looney tune would do and
2: i I feel like it really works in this film because like we talked about it before where there's like a a brief attempt in the producers to break the fourth wall Mm -hmm. but like when that happens it's a little bit more like the kind of shakespearean thing where it's like addressing like you know like like a play audience like a very a smaller one whereas in blazing saddles like the camera goes way back like you're watching this unfold like from a vantage point like and so it's like the the scale is bigger like it's not just like oh like let me in on the secret it's like no this is like a like recognizes that you are a viewer watching a movie like it's getting more meta and less like uh kind of like chuckly inside jokes for like a small group of people like it, it's making like a different kind of Statement about media consumption.
0: Well, especially like Slim Pickens is in this movie, and he at the doesn't he punch Dom DeLouise in the face? And he's like, the, <laughs> yes. I'm in a Mel Brooks picture or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, he I can't work for get Mel more
2: This on you, I'm working for Mel Brooks, not in the face. <laughs>
0: Thank you. You can't get yeah. more meta than that. And and just right. the idea that like my favorite uh moment in the movie, I mean Harvey Corman, I don't want I don't want to go too far into like his performance is my favorite of the movie, but there's a part he plays Hedley Lamar, not Hedy Lamar. <laughs> Which they did get sued for, which is fun, funny story. But um, there's a moment where, like, it's during all of this where the Western completely spills out into the real world, and they're just going from set to set and all this stuff. And it leads up to like the uh, uh, the opening of the movie, and he's like, he oh, asks for saddled. the student discount, and it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like the specific humor that like. I felt like I got to know myself more because a lot of the the humor in this movie is so funny and timeless and so off the wall in exactly what I think is still funny now like there there's just so many random jokes that like the uh there's a part where uh I think yeah Harvey Corman as lamar is is uh giving someone a bunch of shit for not bringing or is it slim Pickens he's like
2: he didn't bring enough gum for everybody uh you know chewing that that's, gum on when they're handing yeah. hand <laughs> out the, the badges to all of like the the cattle rustlers and stuff and i mean that in of
0: course the the uh the treasure of the sierra madre where it's like badges we don't need no sneak in badges like there's all these quick little quips to westerns and things where it's there's this playfulness that permeates the movie despite some. Okay, like especially
2: when gene wilder and Cleavon little put on the kkk robes later yeah on oh like, <laughs> yeah. i mean that that scene alone is kind of interesting because uh gene wilder
0: is like you boy hey boys look what i got here uh, you know, is this what you're looking for? Whatever. And Cleveland and Thiefen Little is just and like, where are the, the white, white women at? <laughs> and of course, like the KKK guys with like this smiley face, uh, you know, <laughs> like stitched onto the backs of their uniform with like, uniform, their stupid, whatever clothes, robes. Uh, have, have a nice day. Like there's all sorts of great visual gags with a lot of great physical comedy. Like, um, that, that also includes Madeline Kahn as Lily Van Stoop.
2: Oh, like man. the that I'm Tired
0: great. that 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 song is one of my favorite songs and I can't listen to the Beatles song I'm So Tired without thinking of that song because it's so like I mean, her performance is so
2: great. Yeah, oh, she even like even the way she sings it, it's like it's like really low energy, like it just it yeah. rocks to such a great scene.
0: <laughs> and I mean that's that's uh, you know, another kind of thoroughfare along all of Mel Brooks's movies too is like the musical component. There's a bunch of great songs in this movie including the theme song that's um that's sang by uh Frankie Lane and he the like the the uh, the story that I heard about the theme song of you know Blazing Saddles was a week. Oh, it's still stuck in my head. But um, Mel Brooks didn't tell him that it was like a parody song or that the movie was a comedy. And so oh, really when you're hearing it, it's the power <laughs> of like a Western with him thinking that he really did like, uh, you know, he wanted to, he wanted uh, Frankie Lane to sing his heart out. Um Uh, So quote um, from Mel Brooks is, quote, Frankie sang his heart out and we didn't have the heart to tell him it was a spoof. He never heard the whip cracks. We put those in later. We got so (laughs) lucky with his serious interpretation of the song, end quote. And it's like, that's what's so great about this movie is it's it's such a smart assy movie that's so well shot. And that's the coolest thing is like it really like amazing cast, fantastic writing, like everything hits so fucking well that it's um i mean what do you think about that irish joke uh paco where it's like you know uh god what was the line like we don't allow mexicans in here and i think they said the n-word and mm-hmm. like the irish or something fuck i've c- cut all of this out it's a great joke yeah. though but it's like <laughs> it, it really they go after everybody in this movie and that's what's kind of i don't know like Cut all this out, Evan.
1: (laughs) I thought it was a great joke. I mean, it cracked me up because uh, there is, like, it's so weird to think about, but there was a ton of Irish and especially Italian racism in this era that we kind of forget about. But people fucking hated, by like the time this movie was around, it was more the Italians, Uh, but they were just as racist and it was uh, it's just like a funny little aside to like think of you know like Mexicans and African Americans and just like the people of Boston all being considered (laughs) on the same level in society when we all know Irish Americans especially Irish Americans from Boston deserve to be on the lowest rung of society like (laughs) um,
2: I mean... I don't I'm, know if you've met anyone a Boston. terrible place. It's, yeah. it's a terrible place.
1: <laughs> the rest of the Irish Americans are okay, though, I guess. Maybe.
0: Well, wait, yeah. I think that's that's what's kind of endearing about this movie is that uh, Mel Brooks prides himself on the fact that, like, a lot of Jews made this Western, which is kind of an interesting, uh, you know, anecdote from him, in that he really wanted to set... Like, he wanted a movie set in 1874 but more like 1974 in terms of tone. And I think that's what, right. what comes across really well is that like, it's just like, this is a throwback to classic Hollywood as well of like just the studio system and a big Western
2: genre and well, all and the I, big and I think sets. They, and they use the sets from the Magnificent Seven, right?
1: i think oh. they did use some of those i think yeah, I like that like, some like the
2: the town was what was uh the town for magnificent seven
1: but one of the things is this movie almost doesn't feel like it's from 1974 it feels more recent than that like the comedy still feels edgy and groundbreaking almost 50 years on
2: it's oh, true and in, in the beginning where they where they hang the guy and the horse like It's little, little like sight gags and stuff that like are hilarious. They're still funny, and it like, it's that's even edgy by modern standards.
0: Well, like that that executioner character is kind of Monty Python esque of like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh, this is from the Doctor Gillespie killings, and he kisses him in the his wheelchair. It's like it's so. So When they have to like make an appointment for an
2: execution, he's like, I couldn't possibly fit him in until Thursday. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's such an absurd comedy, and it's it's. It's really interesting because Richard Pryor was who Mel Brooks wanted in uh, the Bart role. And um, I kind of think, and I do like Richard Pryor, but I think Cleavon Little is so perfect because, for one, he's beautiful. And, like, he has so much charisma that he really gives Gene Wilder a run for his money. Like, I could have watched multiple movies with the two of them in it. Because they, they roll off each other well. They support it's each other's comedy. a movie.
1: If it's Richard Pryor. Yeah, definitely. I love Richard Pryor, and I don't know. Like, I can't imagine it not being Little. Like, Pryor, I feel like, would be more knowing in a way that could work with kind of the Looney Tunes energy. But Clavon Little has almost kind of like an everyman innocence to him that I feel like Pryor's almost too sassy for you know
2: like I it, mean, it depends like I'm, I'm i'm thinking like stir crazy like which also has mm. uh yeah, Gene uh, wilder, wilder. Yeah. and and like which they work together a bunch you know in yeah, the 70s and, and 80s really funny mm. but i agree little is the right person for the role it's you can't help thinking like what a prior as bart would be like but I do think that, that like, and, and especially the way that Gene Wilder and, and Cleavon Little play off of each other, like, like, that first scene when they meet, and Gene Wilder just, like, pounds mm-hmm. whiskey. And he's like, how about you have some food? And he's like, no, food makes me sick. like <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, it
1: wasn't supposed there. to be Gene Wilder either, right? Really? They cast, uh, fuck, who was it? Uh, they cast... Uh, blah, 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 cut this out. Gig Young, who was supposed to do it, who he was like a dramatic actor, but they hired him in part because he was like a famous alcoholic, and they <laughs> uh, they thought he would like know the role, but he ended up going into alcohol withdrawal on the first day of sh- like filming and throwing up everywhere. Well, not so, about laughing. Yeah, uh, so he went to rehab, and Mel Brooks called Gene Wilder panicking, and Wilder was kind of like, okay, I'll come do it, and it's just, I can't imagine, even more than little, I can't imagine anyone else in the role.
2: No, he nails it, it's so good.
1: Yeah, and it feels like he's evolved a lot as a performer just between the producers in this. Like, it's Mm -hmm. only been a few years, but and it's a very different kind of character but there's just such a confidence in how he delivers everything say, in this
2: movie. That definitely you can see the confidence and like not just because uh he's a more confident character but also like you can feel his confidence as a performer.
0: Mm-hmm. Well I mean you were talking about his introduction and I think that's a perfect place to to really get into it with Gene Wilder is like for one he's like hanging upside down and they have that discussion where he's just like Are we black? (laughs) And I must be awake or whatever. (laughs) It's just like...
2: Are we awake?
1: We're not sure. Are we black? Yes, we are. Then we're awake. But we're very puzzled. I think I'd better straighten myself out. Need any help? Oh all i
0: can get but but it's also like there's an amazing medium shot where it's gene while they're talking it's them them talking and then it's um you know uh bart is like what's your name my name's jim but most people call me jim Jim. (laughs) (laughs) like, (laughs) like that's my favorite humor because it's so like deadpan and it's like you know he just, he, he tickles all my bells and I don't even know if that's mm-hmm. a phrase, but it should be like, he, he's such a good, um, yeah. Like he, he's such a good, uh, actor that it takes a good actor to deliver comedy. And I think that's what Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder do great together is like they can hold a scene and create different types of tension until the joke happens. And then it frees the tension and you're, I don't know. I, I, i can't i can't uh articulate it well, but I mean, hey, this movie I think introduced farts to cinema, which is great the farting circle, the circle farts scene <laughs> <already in> <laughs> um everywhere I was reading was saying that that was where the first fart scene happened. And there's a great interview with Mel Brooks where he's talking about, for one, Mel Brooks butted heads with all of the producers and the studio who did not think that this movie would work. And they had a bunch of conflicts about a lot of the content, all the language and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was telling a story in this interview on YouTube of, like going into the edit or maybe it was the sound mix. And he was like, no, put the fart sounds up really loud. And the person, uh, was like, no, I mean, that's going to be, it's going to overtake the mix and stuff. And Mel Brooks was like, yeah, that's the, the joke. And so it was like, almost like the first time that we're really getting that fart comedy that would permeate the the rest the next 50 years of comedy. But it's, it's hysterical. Cause it's just like, it's a bunch the of...
1: first American film, uh, I will give you guys three guesses on who's credited as having done the first fart. Mm. I'll give you a hint. It is maybe the last director you will expect.
2: Amar Bergman. You're on the
1: right track. Okay. (laughs) Alright Godard, didn't he? Not quite. I mean he loves smelling his own farts, but that's different. That's that's Uh, true, that's
0: the cannibal aspect of it.
1: It who? Was, oh no wait is it ozu it's ozu in good no morning <laughs> yeah yeah good morning.
2: Uh, good yeah. morning. what, what oh happens my in God. the scene what, what's the fart there's there's an ongoing joke throughout the whole movie where uh <laughs> so it's like it's about three boys mostly two boys who are brothers but there's a third boy who's their friend and they all eat sawdust because it makes them fart and so they like they like they like touch my nose and they touch their nose and like, Mawr. and there's like a little fart noise. And one of the boys, each time he tries to do it, he shits his pants, and he has to go home <laughs> and change his pants. Like, <laughs> dude, it is one of the most charming films I have ever seen. It is so funny, and Usu, it's like and it's said? also this, like, yeah, dude. It, yeah, so it's, it's t- like a Tokyo story that breaks my heart. no, no, but that's the thing. It's like a really biting satire of consumerism in Japan because like. The little boys like they want a television so they can watch sumo wrestling, and their father's like, "No, this isn't traditional." Like, and and so they they, they go on strike and they just stop speaking to their family until they buy him a television. Like, <laughs> it's well, such yeah. a delightful yeah. little film. Well, it's just
1: <laughs> first fart credited to the director of Tokyo Story. Man, <laughs> yeah, fuck
2: yeah. That leaves movie that's that rocks i'm so glad i guessed that right before you told us <laughs> yeah. yeah that's awesome <laughs> okay sorry we don't have to talk about ozu on the on the no let's do poker. it let's dive then i love ozu <laughs> i don't we'll have to check that out anyway though
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, but the that scene is fucking incredible
2: It's it's, funny that about knowing about the mix now, because it is really loud. It's like the scene starts. It's just like, (laughs) well, even more
0: so Mel Brooks was talking about, um, ever since he was a kid, he loved Westerns, but he was always like, if they're eating, you know, beans and they're drinking black coffee all day, there's no way they're not farting everywhere. And, um, I just, I think that's so like, just cute. It's just such a weird cute part. And, um, They even uh, show a clip of the TV version because apparently when this showed on TV, they edited out the fart sounds. So there's this awkward uh, scene of them just standing up because there's moments (laughs) where like people are just like standing (laughs) up or they're like moving around in their seat. And it's like awkward and weird without the fart sound. And I'm just I don't know. It's it's kind of just an interesting. You you guys
1: want to know how I learned about this movie when I was a kid? It's hard to say. There was a interview, I want to say like on 60 Minutes, when I was a kid and my mom was watching the news. Mm -hmm. And it was an interview with Mel Brooks, like a retrospective, I think. And they used a clip from Blazing Saddles
2: and it was the fart scene and i was like i have to see that movie i I mean i remember seeing it for the first time and rewinding it multiple times because i couldn't stop laughing so much like
1: it's funny that scene doesn't hit as hard for me as an adult
2: well but it's not going to though like we we find the other jokes that are like more culturally appropriate or not appropriate but like culturally relevant i should say uh, funny mm-hmm. as compared to just like hey there's some guys sitting around a fire farting like <laughs> like
1: but guys sitting around a fire farting is oh it's still also objectively funny, funny. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, absolutely and
2: i wouldn't ta- i wouldn't ever take it out of the movie it,
1: and especially <laughs> because
2: like you know like you kept talking about in the producers how you thought that there was like kind of like a lot of dead air or like not as many jokes per minute this mm-hmm. is that film like even even the spots where there wouldn't be like an actual joke they're farting you know what i mean like he's literally he's filling the air with with shit like he doesn't even mm-hmm. but it, but it's fast <laughs> and furious like it never stops like the time without jokes is in like it's very sparing i mean towards the end it slows down a little bit and brooks seems to have this uh kind of like the middle is a little slower and the and the ending is a little little more serious right up until the very end when it gets wacky again but Like Mm -hmm. it never really stops as soon as it starts. Like the jokes are just fast and furious the whole time.
0: Yeah. Like even, even jokes that may not like the Laurel and Holly or Hardy handshake. Like there's a bunch of jokes (laughs) that didn't necessarily connect with me that maybe like, are a cultural, like maybe, you know, we were born in the fifties, they would make more sense. But Mm -hmm. even jokes that I didn't necessarily understand the context of, it's so silly and fun that it's, it's funny regardless. Like, the they bring back a couple of motifs through, through uh, the producers, but the secretary who's objectified as like this woman <laughs> uh, is, is just at Mel Brooks, the governor's beck and call, and he's just talking like, "Oh, I was just walking the parapet or whatever," and you're just like, "That's such a random phrasing. That's just so funny that it's like it's I'm not stooping my secretary or whatever. It's I don't know. It's mm-hmm. like and that includes a lot of uh, you know." Him as the governor is almost like him in the Zero Mostal role, where he's kind of a scumbag and uh, more than kind of. Yeah,
1: he's, he but is totally. He's such, he's, the, he's too dumb to be a scumbag. Almost <laughs> like
2: he's just well, too. You, you can be for dumb a and a scumbag. Like they're not mutually exclusive. I think
0: what what I um, had uh, what came back to me watching this movie is there's a there's a scene and I'm going to totally butcher it talking about it, but I think it's slim Pickens uh, is talking to, uh, Hedley Lamar and they're just dropping like in bombs. And he's, he's saying, you know, about, Oh, this guy is locked up and blah, blah, blah. And there's all of these, uh, Slim Pickens is just talking and you're expecting, or at least when I was a kid, uh, I was expecting Harvey Corman's character of Hedley Lamar to go like, no, whoa, 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 what? Why are you saying that language and to see someone like another adult, uh, who's in a higher power, um, basically like, uh, like participate in that racism and that overt like shittiness was kind of disappointing to me as a kid that has permeated my whole life was, I was thinking about of like, that's what bothers me the most is the fact that people don't stand up to shit that they hear and are just participatory, And I know that's, like, a bummer to talk about, but it was just, like, that struck me this time watching it was, like, I just remember being a kid being disappointed that, like, you have these adults talking and there's all this, like, hate speech and someone won't just say, no, why are you talking about that character like that? You know, Cleavon Little, who Bart is our hero of the movie. So I didn't necessarily see, you know, I don't know. I'm not explaining it well, but but it just, it came back to the disappointment of... (laughs) <laughs> because they're all villains they're all bad yeah. guys like, it's, it's but i think that's where you get to know that hedley lamar is a bad guy it was like i didn't really think i don't know like i think the way that everyone's introduced like the governor i uh, mean he's you know,
1: he's fucking scheming the slim Pickens from the start like uh, yeah but i, I guess just I like get,
0: like first uh you know I don't know, like, impressions were Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, I'm looking to see who this character is, and they're shitty, just like everyone else who's a white person is.
1: He's like a snobby piece of shit, though. Yeah. And so, like, I think because he carries himself with an air of sophistication, you expect him, sort of, to be more cultured and less cool with racism. But, of course not, because... Why would that
2: matter? Like... Well, I think that's also part of the joke too, though, because like, exactly Hedley Lamar yeah. thinks he's way smarter than he thinks he is. Like, it's it, like sort of like you know like Kevin Klein's character in A Fish Called Wanda. Like, Hedley Lamar fits <laughs> in like this. Like, you, you you know you couldn't have Kevin Klein there without Hedley Lamar here. Well, in these
0: great scenes of like him. Dry humping this statue, and then there's another later in the movies, like in a bathtub where slim Pickens okay. is just hanging out <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's all these just strange moments i I think that uh the movie is just it's almost like they're these great skits, like each scene that it clicks to it has so many fun one liners and they're all quotable but it's all held together by like this loose kind of story of what they're telling. And it works so fucking well that this would really launch. Like this has the momentum that would, you know, further Mel Brooks's career the next 40 years. Did you guys know something that
1: blew my mind? Slim Pickens is not his real name. Really? I'm being a smart ass. I'm being Uh, a smart ass. I figured it was a stage name because who would name the kid slim Pickens? You never know uh, though. Somebody <laughs> more in
2: the Depression.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, 19. <laughs> oh he would have been a teenager in the Depression. Well, yeah, maybe
0: his okay. ma- mother didn't like him. It was like Slim Pickens of who's uh, going to be in my roost, my nest. <laughs> Which Slim Pickens is great. I think that's a great casting of him as well, because like I think he was known for westerns in like the '60s quite a mm-hmm. bit, and then of he course he did like Doctors a remake Grange of Stagecoach. Uh, I saw that. That's shocking. I didn't know they made a uh, a remake of Stagecoach in like the '70s or no the '60s. '60s. Maybe. Did you? That's yeah, yeah. after
2: Stagecoach came out, right?
1: Well, Stagecoach
2: uh, came out in, like the Stagecoach is like the '30s. 30s. I thought it was 1940. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, I have not seen that because why would you remake that? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, he also became one of Peckinpah's guys. Yeah. Uh, he was in the getaway and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which, uh, I'm calling dibs that we do Peckinpah someday because (laughs) dude fucking owns. And like, again, along with Mel Brooks, Basically, remade the Western. I'd say Peck and Posh should get a little bit more credit than Mel Brooks, but we can yeah, uh, I mean, leave that for yeah, you know, like Slim Pickens yeah.
0: working, working with Steve McQueen, you know, like that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's just all sorts of fun, you know.
1: You know that movie, like uh, Destroyed
0: a Marriage? <laughs> the movie <laughs> called Destroyed a Marriage, or that no. movie literally? Okay, I'm trying, so, I was, okay. I. Uh,
1: Allie McGraw was with, um, I think Mm -hmm. she was married to Robert Evans, who ran Paramount. And Mm. I think she fell in love with Steve McQueen on that movie. She cheated on Evans with someone on that movie.
2: Probably. Let's be real here. Yeah.
1: And it basically started like this huge feud between uh, People, anyways, that again is for our Peck'in Paw podcast. Which we're gonna <laughs> oh, yeah. do we're gonna, in approximately we're 2045. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. To
0: gossip, <laughs> A wild bunch again. Ooh la la, Peck Paw. Yeah.
1: All right, um, do you guys have other stuff you want to hit on before we get to our actor? segment Saving face. Sorry, Evan. I always forget
2: the name.
0: I don't. I don't think so. I think I'm just blathering on about how much I love this movie, and I'm not necessarily articulating it well. So I don't think I have it, anything. Well, it's else to it's to it.
2: strange <laughs> because like we we found that it was like a little bit difficult to talk about Twelve Chairs because it wasn't like what we expected but this mm-hmm. one's difficult to talk about because it had because it was so good like it's it's a strange dichotomy
1: it's not just that it's so good it's so good and it's so familiar like yeah. i imagine we've all seen it at least 5 times at least oh so, yeah. yeah and it's that weird thing of like trying to pick out just what is worth discussing in something you've watched that many times is more difficult than something you are coming into the, for the first time i feel like but uh yeah this uh movie gets five thumbs up from paco yeah and your extra thumbs.
2: thumbs yeah <laughs> um, extra thumbs no i mean yeah i, I totally agree all, all the thumbs for blazing saddles
1: uh so yeah let's do the acting segment uh evan let's introduce that Whatever here because I forgot the name of it. Again. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Saving
0: face.
2: Saving face.
1: It has been a long week, and I got my first vaccine today, so I'm a little. Oh fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! Um,
2: As long as you're not kidding. Got your your Fauci alchi, as they say. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I got my Pfizer geyser. Ooh, that's yeah. sick. That sounds bad. Like I don't know if that's yeah, what you dude. want. I got my Moderna oh. placenta. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess, Jason, do you want to go first? Who was sure. the performance of the movie for you? I
0: I, I hate to be... Uh, it's Harvey Corman as Hedley Lamar. I, I think that... His performance stands out in so many ways. Like, I'm such a sucker for, like, the vaudevillian. Like, let me hang on every word and, and uh, pronunciate or enunciate and ex- put accents on every... Like, the way he talks is beautiful, and that's what sells all of his jokes, including the one that's, like... It's, I think, my favorite joke in the movie and the one that uh this this time we were watching, I rewound a couple of times because it, it literally just cracks me up is when he's, like, looking outside and he he puts in, like, a candy, a piece of candy in his mouth and he starts doing this, like, maniacal laughter and he chokes on the candy <laughs> while he's, like, laughing hysterically. And he, he like, so does this Heim- Heimlich thing and, and coughs it up, spits it out, and then he acts like nothing happened and walks out of frame. And, like, that's my favorite type of comedy is, like, this slapstick silliness it's there's something that's still remarkable about how physical his comedy is and how it's just silly adults playing dress up being silly and i kind of love that and the energy that he he kind of he steals every scene in my opinion Mm -hmm. that he's in and between that and his like You know he's pissed off that he can't get the student discount for this movie when he's like (laughs) clearly like in his fifties. It's just just, it's it's amazing and and it's such a random. There's just like it hits me in such a way that is timeless and and I think this this movie's tough to talk about because I'm biased. I just I love it and he just he stands out. um, What do what do you think, Terry? Who's
2: who stood out for
0: you or what what performance did you really dig the most?
2: I mean, I, I also like Corman a lot, but I kind of have to, I kind of have to give it to Cleavon Little as part. Well, and yeah. Just because like every, every single scene, like even from the beginning where they like, you know, falling into the quicksand <laughs> and they like toss the rope in to pull out the, the, mother, the cart, the <laughs> cart. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the best.
0: It's it. I watched this with my girlfriend and she had never seen a Mel Brooks movie and didn't really necessarily know that this was a parody. So it was so interesting watching sure. it with her from her perspective because there's so much humor that's really, like, I didn't think that she knew what to expect. And of course, I wasn't explaining it correctly. But uh, it's just with Cleavon Little, he's the hero of the movie who has that Bugs. Books- bunny vibe where he knows more than everyone and no matter how stupid everyone is around him you know that he's gonna get out of it and that he's Mm. gonna live to see another adventure like there's something transcendent about his performance that isn't just like a two-dimensional character like there's something really smart about the way that he plays bart and that's what makes like, he, he, again, in the first 10 minutes of the movie, he brings down the whole house like, you know, um, sir, uh, just so you know, I'm D- my grandmother was Dutch, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. there's just there's so many like, just funny scenes that he sells completely that I, I I really don't know if they would work as well on the script versus the way that he performs it so i I totally totally get you yeah no i just i I love Mm -hmm. every
2: little bit of it and even at the very very end they like him and gene wilder walk off into the sunset and then they like get off their horses and get into the car (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) it's just so good it it never lets up and Cleveland little is like from the (laughs) beginning to the end is a riot i just think he's hilarious oh
0: yeah
1: Uh, yeah he's my choice as well uh you pretty much summed up everything I have had to say. I just think he also has such a good... He manages the tone of the movie so well and that's such a hard thing for a performer yeah. to do is balance so many tones while also keeping like the drama, even of a comedy, Like you have to keep that pathos going, uh, afloat while also having razor sharp comedic timing and Mm. dude should have got more movies he was like he's just a fucking mvp
0: yeah i mean he died way too young i think he died of cancer in the early Mm. 90s and when he was like 50 and it's just like he was unbelievable like in the things that i've seen him in he's he's stolen every scene and this is kind of what makes this movie special too is that this really is like a showcase of all of his talents. He's just un- unbelievable. Yeah. And on that bummer note,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and catch us next week when we are talking Young
0: Frankenstein. Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Frankenstein, Frankenstein I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see you then. <laughs> or i guess we won't see you cut uh, cut all this out evan they're not going to see us we're not going to see them <laughs> just leave it hanging